You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Dan, do you remember trying to get places when you're in high school? Like when you could drive? Yeah, I got lost everywhere. But back then, I would get in my car and just be in places I didn't know where I was. And You're just kind of trying to like figure it out. Like, yeah. oh, this is how I got there. And all I had was a pager in high school, which people find funny. Like I couldn't call someone and ask where to go. I don't even yeah. remember like what I did to get somewhere. I would sometimes like pre-plan my route. Like we had in the back of our phone book, we had like a, a town map and I'd be like, oh, this person's place house is in like C3. And then I would try to figure out how to get there. So I try to pre-plan, but inevitably it always went terrible. When Google Maps and the other like phone apps came out, it was a big change in my life. I feel like it was made for me. There was a step in between having like turn by turn directions in my car. Oh, remember the MapQuest? Yeah. Like you'd like print out like, like, this is how you get out of your driveway. Really? Yes. Do I really need to know that? Regardless, I found that very, that was like our, our 2.0 of this whole it was. getting around. Yeah, I do remember that. We printed out all the time to go to places. We'd print out the directions and have them there. And so, yeah, it was a big change. And But it's also interesting now with the maps. Like, you also have lost a little bit, too, because the maps just are so good. And they take you exactly where you want to go. You don't have to pay as much attention to like the physical yes. environment as you're driving, as you're making your way to places, and you don't have to learn the streets. Like you can just take advantage of it. And so I feel like, you know, even though technology's been very helpful, there has been a little bit lost in like kind of our understanding of our physical environments we're we're living in. I use the the GPS every day to get me home from work. Even <laughs> like yeah, even going to my that. home in my own town, I like leave it on and this it's just kind of pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this all speaks to something that's important to our field, right? Which is geography and understanding geography, what it means in our lives and how it can help us understand our world. And neither you nor I have taught geography, right? No, I've taken it. Yeah, I took it a long time ago. I remember, and we've talked about this before, lots of states and capitals and maps. Yeah, yeah. But today we're going to bring on somebody who probably can bring a little bit more of a sophisticated understanding of geography and how it affects our lives and how we what we can do with it in the classroom. And so we would like to welcome into the podcast, Chris Heffernan. Hi, hey, guys. Chris. Thanks for having me here. We're happy to have you here as well. Well, excellent. And Michael, um, don't apologize for, for still using your GPS to get you everywhere. I think that's what all geographers do. I think, I think they're always fascinated by what route is going to take them to their home, their work, or wherever in the best possible ways. Oh, good. I also like to know what time I'm going to get home. That's the. That's uh, also a very useful thing. I'm really glad you said that. I was afraid you would come on immediately tell us to start using a compass or something. <laughs> no, 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 no. No need. No need to go old school and bust out the compass and the giant like three by four foot roadmap. No, not definitely not a need for that. Well, Chris, can you tell us a little bit about your background in education? Sure. So I've been teaching for 20 years. The last 17 have been at Jefferson Junior High in Naperville, Illinois. It's about 30 minutes or about 30 miles outside of Chicago. I teach seventh grade social studies, which is world geography. And to be totally 100% honest, when I got the job, my whole goal was to get out of that job. 
I was a history person. I was a history minor in college. I was a, a geek in high school who like nerded out over like every election from like 1800 on. And that's what I wanted to get back to. So my primary goal, my first year of teaching world geography was figuring out how do I get out of this? Can you use a GPS to do that? You, you could, you could. I could I could have put the GPS to get to the eighth grade classroom that would teach U.S. history, and, and that might have gotten me there. No, but two weeks into that year of teaching world geography was September 11th, and that kind of changed everything. What I realized is that when my students came back the next day and said, well, why did this happen? I didn't really have a good answer for them. And I realized that that's what my course actually could do, is provide some of those answers of trying to understand why do other people think differently than we do? Why do other people have different beliefs than we do? And so for the past 15 years or 16 years now, that's really what I've, I've dedicated myself to, is, is making geography a class. It's not just about memorization of facts and places and capitals and where things are on a map, but rather understanding the human interactions that exist between different cultures and even different people within the same culture. So that's, yeah, that's, that's me for the last 15 years. You know, I feel like when I was taking, you know, geography, it was very much focused on like maps and landmarks and, and rivers. It seems like you've also added that cultural component. Is that human geography? Yeah. And, and that's not to say that the maps and the, the rivers and all those things aren't important, because I think one of the things that I try to focus on my students is that they need to understand that the physical environment dictates a lot of the human things that go on. You know, there's a reason why I'm sitting in Chicago and our houses are made of brick rather than made of like adobe or made of wood. That's the materials that existed here. That's the materials that you kind of need to live here. It's, it's when you look at the cuisine of any culture around the world, the food that they eat is based off of what was around them, what they could grow, what they could catch. I think that's one of the really important things is the, to understand that the physical environment, those rivers, those, the, the landforms, the landmarks, all those things definitely play a role in the human element. And so, yeah, that's the human geography piece is understanding the cultures and how you know, different systems of, of human interaction kind of are connected. Chris, I see all of you world geography people using your hashtag world geo chat conversations, and I like to peek in and lurk a little bit on them. And you're often talking about, I see phrases like spatial reasoning and physical environment and others. What are some of the key principles or guiding principles that can really help people understand the way geographers teach or understand their subject? So that whole geospatial reasoning thing is, is just the idea of being able to look at a map and make some sense of it, make some sense of the place that you're in. And it's the one thing I don't like about, to get back to that GPS conversation, when you're using like a mapping app, typically what it looks like right in front of you is just like a straight line. And then there's a line that goes perpendicular to it to tell you that there's another street coming up. And that's one of the things that I think maybe we've we've kind of gotten away from is understanding our place in the world. And so I try to always go back and like on the GPS, change my view. So it shows me like the entire trip. So if I'm driving from Chicago to North Carolina, I can kind of see where I'm at in relation to where I started and where I'm trying to get to. And as far as the, the physical environment goes, I think that's one of those things that geographers have been looking at for years of, of understanding, you know, mountains and plains and rivers and the importance that that has on that physical place but also the people that are in that place. Obviously, you're, you live in Chicago. Which do you think is the greatest lake? I mean, is it superior just because of like, you know, the 
I mean, the, the, the vast size and the name would indicate it has to be Lake Superior. But I will say that Lake Michigan is, is quite the gem. And it's the only Great Lake that's entirely within the United States. So from a patriotic standpoint, it's got to be Lake Michigan. I think that's one of the few things that I really do remember from my geography class is the acronym HOMES. HOMES, H-O-M-E-S, to remember. Huron, Ontario, Michigan, Erie, Superior. And I remember that to this day. It's funny you mention that because that's really the only geography lesson that I remember from my schooling. And that was back in probably like third or fourth grade. And I know you talked to someone a couple weeks ago about elementary education, social studies. And that's one of the few things that I, I do remember about geography in elementary school was learning homes. And I remember thinking, we live right by a Great Lake. Of course, we should know that that's Lake Michigan there. But it was in the textbook, so we had to cover it. The problem is that's all I know about the Great Lakes. I don't understand kind of like the ecosystems within which they exist and how the lakes affect the ways that people live. And those seem to be the important things. Like why do, you know, cities often are they settled along waterways? And I don't feel like I got into any of those things. And in reflecting from kind of my, without, with my lack of experience in geography education, I've often thought I wish my lessons were more centered around not memorizing the capitals and states, but why and how do people live in different places and how does the natural environment affect them? Do you feel like you're able to do a lot of that in geography? So I think geography is kind of in a crossroads right now in that I think that most geography teachers are moving away from that traditional model of like memorizing places and memorizing the names of different states or lakes or rivers or capital cities. And a lot more of it is going into that question of, how does that physical feature, how do the Great Lakes actually impact the people that are there? Why is Chicago, and for that matter, Milwaukee, and Detroit, and Cleveland, and Green Bay, and Buffalo, why are they located on these these massive waterways? Like, what is the advantage for that? And, and one of the things is I just came back from the National Conference for Geography Education, and National Geographic was there, and they did a great presentation on geo-inquiry. And that's one of the things that they're really, really stressing is asking those tougher questions rather than just memorizing facts. We live in a Googleable world. And if I can Google it, it's probably not worth me teaching it because any kid who wants to know, well, what's the capital of Kansas? There's your phone. Go look it up. Topeka. Um, Topeka. It, it's one of those two, right? But but yeah, it's it's one of those things where I'd much rather spend the class time talking about why do we live where we live? Like, why did Chicago boom in the 1800s? And then why has the suburban area around Chicago gotten bigger and bigger and bigger over the last six or eight decades? Because those are questions that impact kids. They're questions that can't be answered with a quick Google search, or at least not well with a quick Google search. And it's a question that can help us understand a little bit more about who we are and why we are where we are. It's really interesting you bring that up because I remember in teaching U.S. history that we often would talk about the built human environments from, you know, urban cities to suburban sprawl post-World War II. And the thing that was always missing was a deeper understanding about the different lifestyles that exist within suburbia and within urban cities and how cars facilitated that. Because you kind of just learned that cars allowed suburbs to rise. But you didn't really understand, I think, well, why people have lived in cities for thousands of years. And more recently, I've gotten really interested in new urbanism ideas, which focus on those ideas of living in walkable, community-based places where cars aren't required to actually get to know the people in your neighborhood and how that uh, form of living that's existed for thousands of years. 
whereas the suburbs kind of separate us from our environment in many ways because we're driving from place to place instead of experiencing it. Does geography take up issues like that, kind of current issues like that now? I think it kind of varies, again, from district to district and curriculum to curriculum. For where I'm at, the community that I live in is about 20 uh, about 20 miles south of, of the community I teach in. And I'm right at the edge of suburbia. Like once you get past my house, it is cornfields as far as the eye can see. And so for me, I'm able to talk about how I can go from rural areas to suburban areas. And then another, you know, half an hour past there and I'm in a very urban area. And it is one of the things that I like to talk about with, with my students is that there is no blanket American culture. There is no you know, some, there's nothing that's uniquely American because the community that's about 10 minutes to the west of me is, looks very different than the community that I teach in. And the community I teach in, which is a suburban community, looks very different than, you know, a neighborhood in Chicago does. And I think it's one of those things where a lot more teachers have started to to kind of focus in on that and talk about those those differences, but also the things that kind of like bind us together there. But it, again, it kind of, unfortunately, it, it kind of varies from from curriculum to curriculum and what the teacher really wants to kind of focus in on. But for me, it, it's really important that my students don't fall victim to the single story and that they don't think that everybody who is an Illinois resident is the same because we're absolutely not. America isn't just like little pink houses for you and me. It's, it's not. John Mellencamp's full of crap. Well, he's the cougar. He is. He's Johnny Cougar. What's the Levittown song we play in U.S. history? Little Boxes? I remember Little Boxes being a song. It's the the song from Weeds. Is it? Little Boxes on the hillside. Little Boxes playing ticky-tacky. This is our slow, the beginning of our slow transition into a show tunes podcast. Oh, (laughs) actually, I was going to sing my, if we were going to talk about maps, I was going to sing Map Maker, Map Maker, Make Me a Map. But I decided not to do that. I don't know that one. Well, so we'll follow that up in our geography show tunes episode coming next. But <laughs> I was just in Las Vegas last week. And one thing, just walking around the environment, it's a very car-based environment. You can tell the streets and the way they're organized are very car-based. And without learning anything about Las Vegas's history, I felt like it was a pretty safe assumption that I could make that it was a, a city that grew post-World War II primarily. And a lot of the strip in the area where all the casinos and all those things are probably grew post-World War II. Otherwise, you would have smaller blocks that are really walkable and in human scale instead of these like six lanes across the street where they have giant bridges to keep humans far away from the cars as possible. So I just think that's it's interesting how human geography and those ideas can potentially help us understand places without even studying their history a bit. And how yeah, can Las Vegas even be there without the water? Mm-hmm. It's such a wasteful place for water because there's no natural, like what the, I forget which underground water tavern that they're tapping into. But yeah. they waste a lot of water with Las Vegas. Yeah, and it, right. it, it taps into many inventions, right? Air conditioners, you know, the ability to transport water there, cars. Without any of those things, Las Vegas doesn't exist probably. Well, and then the neat thing about that is, and Dan, what you were saying about how you can tell that it's grown post-World War II is with Google Earth, they've actually installed an Earth engine on there where it goes back and it tracks 
the growth of an area from, I think it starts in 1984 and goes up to 2016. So when you take a look at a city, and, and actually I, it's funny because we looked at Las Vegas last week. Um, when you look at a city like Las Vegas, you can see just how much it has grown in just those 32 years and what it looks like. And Michael, to your point about the water issues, that's another thing that comes up all the time in geography is being able to answer those kinds of questions of how do you sustain a city that's in the middle of a desert? How do you put a city there? then gets into the the real discussions and the real debates of, is it right to have a city there? And that's where I think you can have some amazing conversations with your students is, is to go through and take a look and say, okay, here's Las Vegas. It is clearly in the middle of a desert. The Colorado River is 40 miles away. How do you build a major city here and have that discussion about, you know, is it right to do it? Is it possible to do it? Is it sustainable for the future to have a big city located in an area that doesn't have access to water, doesn't have access to any other major bodies of water to like for transportation usage or anything else, is it possible in the 21st century to keep a city like that going? I feel like we just entered into a geography inquiry uh, session. Something like that. Yes, that's exactly what you've entered into here. And Chris, to correct you, they actually Las Vegas actually has many lazy rivers which I think are natural. I'm not sure, but they seem to be right next to the pool. Maybe they're it's, not. <laughs> it's very convenient that they are there. It's one of the gifts that, that Las Vegas has given us. Chris, can you tell us a bit about the World GeoChat community and how that has kind of helped you grow as a geography teacher? Without sounding too too much like a proud parent, World GeoChat is is coming into its fourth season this uh, this fall, and it kind of was born out of out of a need. One of my... One of my good friends and co-workers, a guy named Ed Casey, Ed Casey has been on Twitter for longer than I have, and he was an SS Chat veteran, and he got me hooked onto Twitter and into SS Chat, and as I participated in some of the chats a few years ago, I, I realized, gosh, you know, it's a lot of history things here, and that makes perfect sense. History is probably the the main focus in the social sciences, um, but the more and more I'm like, gosh, I really wish there was a a geography chat. And so I began like, you know, going through every possible search of geo chat, which turns out to be about geometry. And then it was looking for geography chat. And then there's geography teacher, which is a whole bunch of British teachers that post and share a lot of things, but it's not an actual organized chat. Um, and so out of this need, Ed and I decided, well, why don't we, uh, why don't we start our own chat here? And so we began world geo chat. And then a guy named Pete Spiegel, who's an educator in Maine, he joined us, and then Jennifer Garner, the real Jennifer Garner, not the ex-wife of Ben Affleck, but the real Jennifer Garner, who's an AP teacher in just outside of Atlanta. She joined us and became our fourth moderator, and now we have a fifth one, Sam Mandeville, who's in Franklin, Massachusetts. So we've, we've kind of grown, but what our chat does is it, it focuses just on the geography. And yeah, we have other topics that kind of come in and out, and we, so we've talked about other educational pedagogy, but... The main thing is is talking about how do we make geography relevant to our students? How do we make geography engaging for our students? And how do we break away from that traditional model that we were talking about earlier of memorizing locations and names and, and things like that? We've been really fortunate that it's it's become this amazing community of educators where, well, we pull in you guys sometimes, and, and we've pulled in Andrew and, and Chris and Mary Owen. And so... You know, we have all these people, some of which don't even teach geography, but they understand that geography is part of the social sciences and that it should be incorporated into a history classroom or a civics classroom, or an economics classroom. 
And so we've kind of grown over the last couple of years, and now we're blogging, and we just presented at the National Conference for Geography Education last week. So it's... Congrats. Thank you. It's been an amazing experience to kind of be a part of this from the get-go and to see just how much it helps other people. Like the, the fact that people are able to come to World GeoChat with a question and put it out there and get an answer. And sometimes that it's a, it's a very specific geography question. And sometimes it's more of like, a, I need advice about how to deal with the situation that I've, that's been thrown at me. Like your students are plotting to overtake Las Vegas because it's a poor use of resources and shouldn't exist? Exactly. How do I do this? Do I foment the revolution? <laughs> Chris, I think one of the fun things about the Twitter chats and engaging through hashtags is that you get a lot of cool resources, ideas, technology tools to use from other people. What are some of your favorite geography um, tools to use to, to do cool stuff? Anybody who's in geography needs to at least become familiar with all the Google Maps, Google Earth, Google Expedition devices that are out there. Because I think there's a, there's a treasure trove of things that you can do with your students. My maps are great because you can collaborate on them, you can annotate them. Google Earth is just a fun tool to have because you can literally like zip through the air and, and see other things. And they've added more and more layers onto it. And so there's these educational pieces to it. There's... Like I remember a couple months ago, there was one about Sesame Street, and it kind of talked about Sesame characters from around the world, and it's just this layer that Google had created for it. And the Google Expeditions are, you know, using like Google Cardboard or any of those virtual reality headset things that you can literally take your students someplace halfway around the world and have them experience it at least, you know, for five minutes of them kind of spinning around and seeing, oh, that's what's over there, and oh, I've always seen the Eiffel Tower, but I've never known what's on the other side of it. So. I think it's a it's it's one of those things that I think every geography teacher probably needs to take a few minutes to kind of explore is Google Earth, Google My Maps, and Google Expeditions. One of the other great resources that I, it's probably been shared I don't know thirty or forty times in World Geo Chat, and it's probably been shared in SS Chat. It's this thing from Planet Money. It's called Planet Money designs a T-shirt or creates a T-shirt, and what it does is it goes through the entire. This. It's fantastic, and I think I think it was Bill Chapman, um, Classroom Tools, that shared it the first time. But it's it goes through the process of like where'd the cotton come from, and then what happened. And it basically talks about how the cotton, yeah, it might have been grown in Mississippi, but then it's shipped to Indonesia, or it's shipped to Colombia, or it's shipped to Bangladesh, and it's turned into yarn. And then that yarn is shipped off to another developing country, where it's turned into an actual textile. And then that textile is taken to another country where it's actually like cut into the pieces of a shirt. And then it's finally like sewn together and sent back to the United States. And then there might be a print shop here in the United States that actually does the screening of it. But, you know, your shirt that you bought at the Walmart for eight bucks has already been on a global experience. And I think for our students, I think that understanding of what it means to be a global citizen and being interdependent, it's such an important thing. They need to realize that everything is connected that you know what the clothes that they're wearing the furniture in their house the food that's in their fridge very little of that stuff actually originated very close to their home it's been all over the world it's probably more well traveled than they are at this point but it goes I, back to that idea of global citizenship and, and interconnectedness which is i think a key piece of geography i listened to an amazing podcast episode of uh 99% invisible which was just about you know those big like cargo boxes that go on. What are the shipping containers? The, the container ships. 
Yeah, it was just about containers and how they have like changed so much. You no longer need people to like, you know, take stuff off of ships. So that actually, you know, takes away jobs there. But these shipping containers can then be put directly on trains, can be put directly on trucks without all these different people on the way. So it totally just changed. It changed, well, jobs. It changed so much. Shipping containers. Yeah, I, Michael, I think there's actually a whole uh, it's a whole podcast. I think 99 yeah. PI picked up a piece of it, but it's a whole podcast that goes through the containers and how, like you said, it's this whole fascinating like trail of you know where they start and where they end up and how they can be moved with very little human help along the way. And fortunately, we have hipsters who have learned you can live in them and open businesses in them. And so now shipping containers are becoming popular places. I'm going to Oklahoma City later today, and there's a popular corn dog restaurant in a shipping container. See, but I think that's one of those fascinating things about about resourcefulness, and that's another thing about geography. Is like you can talk about you know what do you do with what do you do with all this like urban waste? What do you do with these old like rail cars and things like that? And you know to be able to show them. You know, look, like I know, for example, in Seattle, there's like an entire housing development that is created just out of shipping containers. And it looks like something that's out of like the Ikea catalog. Like it's all very like modern looking and 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 cool on the inside. And the outside, it's just these painted shipping containers. So it's one of those things about and that's another thing that you can do with geography is you can talk about how do you take advantage of the natural resources? But how do you also take advantage of the other things that you have at your disposal and actually use them for something good rather than just dumping them in a landfill or dropping them to the bottom of the lake or the ocean. That's really cool. And I think making those connections is really neat. I just went to ISTE this summer. I mean, ISTE is the big ed tech conference if anyone is interested and wants to attend. And one of the sessions that really struck me that I want to do some stuff with this semester is using Google Maps to do digital storytelling. And so when you were talking about making your own maps with Google, can you talk a little bit about how students or you can do that to create your own stories and and map your own experiences? With my maps, for example, my maps is just, it's it's a free Google thing. It's just like a Google Doc. You can invite any number of other people into it, and then you can just start plotting things. And so you can, you know, drop a pin on the place where you go to school, or you can drop a pin uh, and a place that you went to vacation. So for example, when my kids come back to school in a couple of weeks, one of the first things I'm going to have them do is we're going to do a couple centers on the first couple of days of, of school. And one of the centers is going to be to drop a pin in your favorite place in the world. And it could be you know, a place that they have been to. It could be a place that they've always wanted to go to. It could be a place that their ancestors came from, but they're going to drop a pin wherever they want to put it, and then they can annotate it. And so they can go ahead and they can put over on the side why is that place special to them and what it means to them and why that's what they chose. So it's, it's a nifty thing that you can actually annotate. And then you can change the colors of the pins. And so when I start a unit, I have my kids kind of plot out 10 countries that are in a region and 10 physical features in a region just so they can kind of see some of the diversity in a region. And I always have them switch to satellite view because I think that it's important that you actually can look down and see, oh, there's green or there's brown or, oh, it's a big city. But I have them then do like a see, think, wonder of what do you see as you look at that place? What do you wonder about what you see? Uh, I'm sorry, no. What do you think about what you see there? So they're making an inference there. And then what do you wonder about what you see? And they're asking a question. And it's it's a great way to get them to start thinking about a place that they've never, ever encountered before. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of geography teachers realize is that you know, their students are coming in with virtually no background knowledge about geography. 
history, it gets touched on in elementary school, but geography really doesn't. And so it's a great way to kind of get them to start thinking about the world that's around them, to have them, you know, look at my maps and make these inferences. So if you like it, then you can put a ring in it. No, put a pin in it. Damn it. Put it, put it. It's, it's so close. If you, if you like it, you can put a pin on it. That'll That's be one of our, say. one of our songs in our musical. There, there you go. Oh. <laughs> we really need to make this happen. When do we get everyone together to do the social studies musical? Oh goodness. Chris, what advice would you have for people who are current geography teachers or just learning about teaching geography or starting in the field? I think advice for anybody who's even remotely going to touch on geography is to, number one, stop with the memorization. Stop. Just stop. Anything that's Googleable. you don't need to do it anymore. And instead, focus on the connections. The second thing is I would recommend that everyone take a look at the sustainable development goals that the United Nations has created, the global goals, and I think you can find them at globalgoals.org. Um, it's 17 goals that the world has to try to solve some of the world's problems. And it's one of the things that I've really started to focus on in the last few months and looking forward to getting back to this year is, is looking at these these sustainable development goals and using them to kind of help students realize that though something might not be a problem here in our part of the United States, it could still be a problem somewhere else. And so, for example, one of the big issues that I hit on is water. And for us in the Midwest, water is not a big deal. We have the Mississippi River about 100 miles west of us. We've got Lake Michigan about 30 miles east of us. Water is not a concern for us. But, you know, you go to Flint, Michigan, water is a really big deal. Like we said before, you go to Las Vegas or Phoenix, water's a really big deal there. And so I've tried to get my students to understand that water is a big deal outside of here. And the global goals are great because they, they kind of introduce students to some of these problems that they might not have encountered anywhere else. So that'd be my second thing. My third thing is, and this is a shameless plug here, but I would encourage you to join World GeoChat on Tuesday nights. I would encourage you to read our blog, which is worldgeochat.wordpress.com. Quite good. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. And, it, and it's not just me. It's, it's the five moderators. We each take a day of the week and we each kind of write about either something specific that we've done in our class and that we're trying to do, an experiment that we've done. And sometimes it's just it's just about teaching, about like, you know, the frustrations that we all encounter at times. And so sometimes it's almost more of a therapeutic thing for us than it is actually useful for somebody else. But I would encourage you to, to read some of the things. We, we've got some, not to be... I'm proud of it. I'm really proud of some of the things that we've got there. There's some great posts there. And our Twitter community, like I said, it's fantastic. And even if you can't join in our chats on Tuesday night, to at least go to that hashtag and you know see some of the resources that are there and never be afraid to post a question in the World Geo Chat hashtag and know that you'll always get somebody who's going to respond and say, well, here's, here's something that I've tried and or at least I can direct you to this. So those, I think, would be my three things that I would advise to any geography teacher. What time is the World Geo Chat chat? So World World Geo Chat is nine Eastern, which would be then six Pacific. So, and that's I think. Well, you guys know from SS Chat, it's the hardest thing about organizing a chat is to try to find a time that's actually going to work across the country. Because for our chat, it's bedtime out east, and it's dinner time out west. And for me in the Midwest, it's it's in a nice sweet spot of eight o'clock, but it is a tough thing, but honestly, it's the best hour of professional development that I get each week is to in, to just hear from other people in our community as they share ideas, share resources, ask questions. And I think 
you know, one of the things that I love about our, our group is that we're not afraid to challenge each other to get better. It's, it's not just an echo chamber of like, oh, that's amazing. Oh, that's perfect. Oh, that's great. There's challenges to each other of uh, how well, have you tried this or could you do that to make this an even better activity? And it's, it's something that I love. I love that it pushes me to want to be a better teacher. They're like critical cheerleaders. They are. They are critical cheerleaders. I love it. And so you might get pushback on your destroy Las Vegas idea from one of your other World Geo Chat friends, huh? <laughs> it's it's possible, though. I don't know if we have any World Geo Chatters from the Las Vegas area, so and there might not be anyone now. there to defend it. <laughs> and we never will now. It's right. It's, it's gone. So, Chris Heffernan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, guys. I really enjoyed it. Chris, where can our listeners find you and your work online? I'm on Twitter. It's at cheffernan75. Or if you go to World Geo Chat, you will probably not have to scroll too far before you find me having posted somewhere. Like I said, our blog, worldgeochat.wordpress.com. Yeah, that's probably the best way to, to get a hold of me. Thanks so much. We'll definitely have all of the sites and your links to your site and to your Twitter account on our show notes. And we'll make sure we get everyone there. And at SS Chat, we'd be very wary about the World Geo Chat coming to overtake us now that we've learned about your aggression. So, but never, we, never. It's a, it's a friendly alliance. Friendly okay. Alliance. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and we will definitely keep continuing the discussion online on SS Chat, on World Geo Chat, and anywhere else you want to be, as Michael says. That's right. We're all about sharing the learning of the Vision of Education podcast. If you're doing something fun, creative in education, or you just want to chat, tweet us at Vision of Ed. We're also on Facebook. And is it Pinterest that we're also on? According to you, I've never <laughs> been there. <laughs> and if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to us and subscribe to your friends, your colleagues. Well, our podcast is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and anywhere you want us to be. And if you write us a five-star review, we will read it on the air. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 Think Deep. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast, signing off. <laughs>